This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Alexis Gray as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. There, there, there was some letter that was sent from like all of the department heads where they were saying like, we're in an emergency situation here. Uh, John Lewis needs to resign, the chairman of the board. And it was like for them to go to that degree, in that environment of fear and control tells you how close it was to to going under in my opinion and so maybe they've they've staved off some of that with john lewis resigning maybe they bought themselves some time but i mean it's still a fundamentally a worldview based on separation and separation can only separate so long until it fractures irrecoverably apart Hi, I'm Gail. I'm Nate. And this is Full Mutuality. On today's episode, we are going to be giving sort of... Prequel isn't the right word, because usually the prequel comes after the main movie. We're doing the before the next episode, whatever that is in technical So like a prequel in that it's, you know, the preamble to the next thing, but it's not a prequel because it's not coming out after the next thing. It's coming out before. So the... The intro. This is our intro <laughs> to the next episode. So yeah. on the next Full Mutuality episode, we will have a special guest, Chris, who will be we will be interviewing about the first Bob Jones University protest. Uh, and we thought before we get into that, and it will be a special episode because it's going to be actually be a collaboration episode of Dauntless Media, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. We've never yeah, done that so before. So we're actually, yeah, we've worked together with the other podcasts in our network. Um, and we put, we've put together this, uh, this upcoming episode for you all. And I'm really excited because it's a fantastic conversation. Um, it's a difficult one, but it's a, it's an amazing conversation. Um, I do want to point out though, um, that we had, you know, put this episode together before Megan and Cortland from the Thereafter podcast joined our network. Um, I don't remember if, if we made the announcement already on a previous episode or not, but, uh, here's here's an announcement. If we haven't already, the Thereafter podcast is now a part of the Dauntless Media Collective. Yay! This is exciting news. Dauntless is growing and fantastic podcast to add to the many fabulous podcasts that we already have in Dauntless. And you'll get to hear on the next episode a lot of their thoughts, which is fun. Like, usually you have to listen to all of our stuff individually, but you'll be able to hear from all of us, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this episode, we wanted to give you a basically kind of a rundown of Bob Jones University and why it's significant. Because mm-hmm. you know, if you just jump right into Chris's story, I mean, it's it's going to be intense and and definitely uh, great to listen to. 
But we thought we'd, you know, just help people who are jumping in who might not have heard about Bob Jones to understand why why this this university is important. I mean, aside from Nate having attended, <laughs> mm. I'm not sure that that's what makes it that significant. But um, you definitely oh, it makes it so significant. It's definitely why we have <laughs> talked about it before on our podcast. Actually, speaking of, we should probably yeah. give some reference points for people if they want to. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, before we give some some like reference points, let's talk about a few other podcasts. That's what I meant. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think um, one, you know, the, our own podcast, uh, there's an episode back in season one uh, where we spoke with Lance Weldy and Peter Crane. Uh, Lance was the, the guy who put together, yeah, author, compiler, editor of the book BJU and Me. Queer Voices from the World's Most Christian University. Um, and Peter, book. oh, it's a, it's an excellent book. Mm-hmm. Peter was one of the contributors to that book. His story is told um, in that book as well. Um, and then there is actually an episode of Chapel Probation with Scott Okamoto. With you. That, yeah, with that I hopped on to talk about my experience at Bob Jones University. We've both given our stories to Scott now. I feel like we've given even yeah. more details of our own stories on his podcast than in our Yeah, own. so if you want to if you want to hear about us, go listen to Scott's podcast. He's a great host. He does a good job yeah. at carving out space for people. And yeah, so your story at BJU mm-hmm. which uh, Scott says is one of his most listened to episodes is um is sitting there if you guys want to hear Nate's story. And then lastly, there's a third podcast that's coming out. Yeah, there is a podcast that is coming out called Surviving BJU, hosted by Andrew Pledger, I believe. And um, that one will be, I believe it's a limited series of about 15 or so episodes. Um, They will start coming out in August of 2023. So if you're listening to this after that, you can go ahead and check that are podcast on, out. Are you on this podcast, Nate? Yes. Oh, you're going to um, be interviewed. I will one. be. Yeah, I'll be on on an episode sometime later on. Cool. Um, yeah, and uh, and Andrew is a, a great guy with a with a, a fantastic story of his own. Um, and was he kicked out of BJU? Yeah, yeah he was a uh, he was recently expelled from the university for being gay so hmm, that's, that's so on brand for for bob yeah, jones i that's, mean that's the thing they do he belongs in lance's book <laughs> <laughs> there's just too many stories know, right? to, there are to too many yeah way too many stories that's, yeah that's sad but we're gonna be we're gonna be running through a history and overview mm-hmm. of bju today that's what we're gonna be doing and then we're gonna we're gonna have rick on at the end talking about the updates yeah. on bju so that is our outline for today yeah. So uh, I think it might be a good idea to talk a little bit um, just briefly about some touch points that people might have culturally with Bob Jones University, where you might have heard of this school from outside of, you know, the evangelical or fundamentalist world. Ooh. Why? Yeah. Why do we talk Ooh. about Bob Jones so much? Me, me, me first. <laughs> OK. <laughs> so I did not go to Bob Jones University. I live in Canada currently. And I heard about BJU through BJU Press, which is uh, an arm of Bob Jones University, but it's not the uni- – well, it is produced by the university. But Yeah, it's the uh, the publishing company that the university um, put together to, like, publish books and media and, and whatnot. And their, their premier publication is a curriculum. 
homeschool, well, not just homeschool curriculum, because it's interesting, like when I was homeschooling my kids, which I regret, and I've apologized to my son who likes me to apologize frequently for this reality. But, <laughs> you know, I put them in school in grade five or six. But um, when I was and I've changed my you opinion, put them in public school, I did put them in public yeah. school. Yes, differentiate because you right. went to a private Christian school that used BJU curriculum. It was a feeder yes. school for BJU, right? Yeah. 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 So I went to a um a private Christian school that was part of the Garden State Association of Christian Schools, which in turn was a part of the American Association of Christian Schools, which is this large network of private Christian schools, uh, the vast majority of which use some blend of curricula produced by BJU Press, Abeka, which is from Pensacola Christian College, and Accelerated Christian Education. That's the one I did with Ace. my kids. It was terrible. Was awful, awful stuff. Yeah. I mean, they all have lots of really racist, rewritten history of the U.S. You know, Confederates mm -hmm. were the good guys. Wee! And I think Bob yeah. Jones was even like the electoral college was was checks and balances, so the people can't just vote their will. Like, <laughs> yeah, you had there were they have this whole section in one of their history books that talks about why you know the the pitfalls of democracy and why something like the electoral college is actually good to act as a check and balance against the people. Yeah. Um. The homeschool curriculums are <laughs> frightening out there. And Bob Jones' uh, curriculum, BJU, is not great either. It's also in that. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I didn't cover too much American history with my kids. We skipped over all that stuff. But I yeah. mean, there's just so much indoctrination in the in the Christian publishing homeschool slash private Christian school like you were in. Mm -hmm. I think you even said there was um, over... Over 200? Yeah, so so there are um, over 750,000 students. As of 2015, That's there are over 750,000 students enrolled in conservative Christian schools in the U.S. That are using the curriculums um, you named, Bob Jones being one of the top mm -hmm, ones that yeah, people listen yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's my history with BJU, was the BJU mm -hmm. Press side of things. Um on your end, aside from you attending there, if you bring it up in yeah. New Jersey, most people... yeah, nobody, most people haven't heard of Bob Jones University, um, the, like outside of the evangelical world. Like you know, if I go to to any of the evangelical churches that I went to, aside from, of course, the the church I grew up in, because naturally they would know about Bob Jones. They were a feeder mm -hmm. church for Bob Jones, but outside of that world, evan evangelicals, mainstream evangelicals. By and large, when they hear about Bob Jones, either they've never heard of it, or they, or know it's that they are college. yeah mm -hmm. they they know they're like oh that's those are those extreme folks down in South Carolina right right so so if you're in South Carolina, yeah. even if you're not in evangelicalism, you've probably heard about them. But if you're in New yeah. Jersey and you're outside of the evangelical slash fundamentalist world, maybe not likely mm -hmm. to have heard of them, except. Unless you are in law school, mm, which you work <laughs> in which for case, a law school. Yeah, so I, I do work for a law school, and I do find it funny because I did have a, a conversation with somebody um, at work, and you know, it happened to come up that I went to Bob Jones University, and they were, they were like, like that, "Wait a second, that Bob Jones University? We, yeah, we learned about you in class, um, and and yeah, so we will actually go into that. The court case was known as Bob Jones University versus United States, and yeah, as you could tell, that changed the landscape. As you could tell by the name, yeah, it's a it's a 
it's a big it's a big deal. Um, so let's maybe go into so, that history, yeah. but like start maybe back things up a little before yeah. that court case that you yeah. know law students in New Jersey have heard about and are studying. Right, right. So Bob Jones University was founded way back in 1927. So they were very close to their hundredth anniversary. Um, yeah, it's an old school. It is an old school. Um, so they were founded in 1927 by a man named. Bob Jones, um, who, according to their own stated history, he didn't want to name the school after himself, but um, somebody convinced him to because they said people would get confused. It really sounds like this guy was uh, a bit of an egomaniac, but in any case, uh, Bob Jones as well. So, yeah, he is kind of fond of his name. (laughs) Yeah. So Bob Jones um, starts this college yeah senior starts this school called bob jones college um basically he believed that the american education system was growing way too secularized and so he wanted to develop a school right um that would be rooted and grounded in the fundamentals of the christian faith um on the basis of you know biblical um theology biblically grounded theology, right? Um, and in fact, uh, for all of you American history nerds, William Jennings Bryan, who ran for president three times um, and failed three times, was a close friend of Jones. He once said to him, if schools and colleges do not quit teaching evolution as fact, we are going to become a nation of atheists. Sounds very fundamentalist dun, of him. Dun, dun, Yeah. Because that, you know, that would be the end of the world. Um, and then real quickly, uh, Bob Jones College moved to Cleveland, Tennessee in 1933. And then uh, in 1947, the school renamed and rebranded as Bob Jones University after moving to Greenville, South Carolina, where they currently uh, reside. So they've been in, in Greenville since the f- late 40s, 47. Yeah, since since 1947. Yep. Okay. And then... What do we have um, going on in 48, Nate? Yeah, so in 1948, a student by the name of Billy Graham, have you heard yeah. of him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he received an honorary degree from Bob Jones University, despite having only attended the school for one semester. We're going to get back to Billy Graham and his experience with Bob Jones. We think it's kind of symbolic of the overall picture of things and the influence of Bob Jones, but we'll get back. Also, I think it's worth noting that that this is par for the course for Bob Jones. They have a tendency to just sort of hand out honorary doctorates to people and Mm -hmm. honorary degrees to people, and they're not legitimate, and it became actually cause for some serious uh, political concern in South Carolina. But I digress. <laughs> All right. So in 1953, at a crusade in Tennessee, Billy Graham, he, I, we're going to just give some context of what, what happened throughout the timeline. So basically, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. 48, he's a student there. In 53, he's doing, uh, he's doing a rally. He's doing a crusade. And basically, he decides that he's not going to preach in a segregated uh, auditorium. Like he's going to remove remove the the sections that separate. He's going to take that out. He's going to take out the barriers and he's not going to... God forbid. So like just to show like what's happening. So in 54, this is extremely important. So the next year mm-hmm. after he decides I'm not preaching in a segregated uh, 
crusade. He um, yeah didn't um, so the the anecdote. Uh, sorry, I don't know if this is like actually what happened or if this is urban legend. But didn't Graham himself like get down off the stage and like remove the ropes that separated black I people from white people in the that. audience? I remember hearing okay. that. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but yeah. Mm. And then apparently in 1954, so the next year, that's when the Supreme Court issued its unanimous ruling on Brown Brown versus Board of Education. And of course, you, hopefully you all know this from history. It's mm-hmm. um, basically the racial integration of public schools being made mandatory. That's what mm-hmm. this ruling basically summarized as. And and it's it's interesting to note what's happening in evangelical culture at this point. Um, I was watching a documentary called God Forbid, which was about Jerry Falwell Sr. and Jr. and sort of the history of that school. Mm-hmm. But basically... Um, it was talking Liberty University. It was talking right. about Liberty University and the founding of basically segregation academies, which is what Liberty University started as. Um, and yeah. and they had they, they had Christian. To names. be fair, they weren't they weren't yeah. called. To be fair, they weren't actually called segregation academies, but that's in essence what they existed yes. for. Yes, and Bob Jones would be counted among them. Universities where where black people were not allowed attending. So, mm-hmm. and they were frustrated with these, these the Supreme Court ruling. And um, we're going to keep going through this timeline. In 1957, uh, Martin Luther King prayed at Mad- the Madison um, Madison Garden Crusade in New York City that Billy Graham oh, had. Oh, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 1960, um, he criticizes white evangelicals in the United States. Graham does. So, and leading into 1960, this is an important one. Because in 1960, if you're aware of the history, um, that's when the Civil Rights Bill is passed. Um, So things are really starting to change in the U.S. Like there's big Mm -hmm. rulings, like not just desegregating schools, but that's when the Civil Rights Act gets passed. It makes it all the way through the Congress. Um, It gets approved in April of 1960, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. The Senate approves the House bill on April 8th, and then... Two weeks later, the House makes amendments and the President Eisenhower signs it into law on May 6th. Anyway, going to back to April, April 9th, jo- Bob Jones Sr. gives a talk about segregation and it's entitled, Is Segregation Scriptural? He writes a booklet, basically, telling what the university's position is on this topic because it's such a hot topic, right? Desegregating and the Civil Rights Bill and and everyone's discussing this. So he decides to explain their position, which they're going to go forward with. And they're going to be handing this out for all the way until the 80s. This booklet will be the reference point of why they don't allow black people to attend their university. Mm-hmm. So just holds fast to his position. So the 1960s were a huge uh, turning point in the U.S. and things were really starting to heat up. Um, in the movie, God Forbid, that I mentioned earlier, that was talking about Liberty University uh, they have they have a really interesting uh, role through history at this point too, explaining how the evangelical movement changed, and it's worth referencing. Uh, they have Anthea Butler from the Department of Religious Studies. She's the chair at the University of Pennsylvania, and she says March 1965 was a big turning point for many white evangelical pastors to understand that the world was changing, and they have to consider what side of that world they wanted to be on. Would they be on the side of the civil rights movement? Or would they be on the side of white supremacy? And Jerry Fal- Falwell made a choice. Uh, he basically admits in that documentary, I remember preaching a sermon justifying the segregation position. One can make the Bible say whatever he wants to make it say. I mean, it's incredible you can actually hear him say that in the documentary <laughs> that he admits to that. Um, but basically, yeah, at that time, 
people were were having to figure out where they stood on this. And he, and Jerry Falwell Sr. Senior had said that ministers shouldn't be involved in the political; they should just be only involved in preaching the gospel of Jesus. And then later on, as things changed, he changed his tune. So after 1971, which was the Green versus Connolly Supreme Court decision, um, that wakes up Falwell and a number of other ministers, and they realize that they have to rethink how they're doing things. And he says, I preached a few years ago that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics, but I think we have every right to speak. We're citizens too. Um, So he actually at least acknowledged he was wrong in that. But a lot of ministers who were talking about how they shouldn't be political changed their tune um, because they wanted to support the status quo of white supremacy. And um, basically Falwell, he's really at the ground level through his school, you know, doing his, his segregation academy. And he's, you know, they're trying to justify what they're doing. And now they're realizing that they're on the wrong side of history and that their stances have looked really unpopular. And they're trying to find out as evangelicals, sort of like testing the waters to figure out what issue do they jump onto now, now that they can't just Mm. segregate schools and it's looking really bad. Um, And I think, you know, as I referenced the 1971 Supreme Court, maybe you can elaborate what that was, Nate, because that had a big effect. Yeah, I think it's it's probably worth going back um, a little bit, right? So, uh, and we're not really going to talk about it much in, in these coming episodes because um, Bob Jones University doesn't really come to the forefront of that conversation. But what what you were just alluding to there, Gail, was that um, as they were sort of testing out what would play more popularly because, you know, segregation wasn't playing very popular anymore. Um, they sort of switched their tune and started looking around. Long story short, they latched on to abortion, which at the time had been sort of the, the the realm of the Catholic Church. That was the mm-hmm. the the rallying cry of the Catholic Church, and the evangelical world was steering clear of that entirely until they found themselves really far behind the times and needed something that they could use to galvanize um, a political movement. But um, going back to the conversation surrounding race and, and integration, so on and so forth. So um, basically, the, the the Supreme Court case that you were mentioning, Green v. Connolly, um, in 1971, the, the Supreme Court had decided in that case that educational institutions um, were – that that were discriminating on the basis of race would end up losing their tax exempt status, um, which is huge for Bob Jones. Yes, obviously. and that was actually a follow up on um, what had been happening a year uh, earlier when the IRS made the decision to start enacting this policy that they would revoke the tax exempt status of any. Um, uh, organization that was discriminating on the uh, on the basis of race. So, in response to that, Bob Jones University started admitting black students when they saw that the Supreme Court had made this decision. Um, so, BJU started admitting black students, With an but they exception? had certain yeah but. they had certain stipulations. Um, no unmarried or single black students wow. were allowed to attend the school. Um, and no black students who were dating or married to a partner of another race. So no, were no couples who were in interracial relationships. Like if yes. you and I would not be, be permitted. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so basically, um, 
They're trying yeah, to so test the waters and be like, okay, see, we're not, we're not, not admitting black students. They're allowed except, except, but, but mm-hmm. yeah, they yeah. have to be. So with all of this going on, the, the university lost their tax exempt status. Um, and so they started, they started paying taxes. Um, then in 1976, the school decided we'll admit all black students. Well, as long as you're Christian, right? I mean, that's sort of the stipulation that, that exists and continues to exist even now, right. is that you have to be a Christian. You have to get a pastoral recommendation in order to attend the school. Um, but yeah, in 1976, they begin admitting all uh, black students. But once you're on campus, they enforced those rules um, about interracial dating, so they prohibited even more heavily. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So they they yeah. made stricter. So now, if you're unmarried and you're black, you can attend. You don't have to be married because you know they didn't want the unmarried black men dating the white women. But when they start admitting them, they just make those rules about not interracial dating stricter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. so so it wasn't actually until 1976. Sorry, I was I was mistaken. It wasn't actually until 1976 that the IRS officially revoked BJU's tax-exempt status. Um, so in that year, the school started have, having to pay taxes, but uh, obviously they weren't very happy about it, so they sued to obtain a refund on their taxes. Um, they did win that case in district court, but um, the IRS appealed, and the case made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court, where in 1983, the court ruled unanimously in favor of revoking Bob Jones University's tax-exempt status, and they would remain a taxable institution all the way up until 2017, where they would reapply. Um, So this is the big Supreme Court case, Bob Jones University versus United States. That's the 1983 Um, case? Yeah. That's the 1983 case. And actually, it has been cited many times throughout the years in all sorts of cases. Um, And in fact... It actually came up in um, in an exchange before the Supreme Court in the Obergefell v. Hodges decision, which is the, the Supreme Court case that legalized same-sex marriage. Um, and then after that decision, the IRS commissioner actually said that the agency would not target the tax-exempt status of religious institutions that opposed gay marriage. So that's a little bit of doublespeak there in terms of anti-discriminatory policies, which is unfortunate that, you know, the the U.S. government, um, even in recognizing the legality of same-sex marriage, does not recognize that, um, that LGBTQ people are supposed to be a protected class under these sorts of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, under these sorts of case law. But, you know, it is what it is. It's a huge case, 1983, uh, Bob Jones versus the United States. I mean, that basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yep. We're going to fast forward. We're going to go to the spring of 2000, which was interesting. This is three years before you attended Bob Jones, correct, Nate? Mm-hmm. I was in high school. I think I was in ninth or 10th grade at the time. And basically um, on Larry King... And and did you watch this this episode? Nate? Yeah, on um, on an episode of Larry King Live, um, you know Bob Jones University actually appeared on Larry King Live or Bob Jones University. Bob Jones the third, who was the president of the university at the time, he appeared on Larry King Live, and I remember this very vividly because 
um, my English teacher, my high school English teacher. In New Jersey. Who, yeah, at my little, you know, um, tiny little fundamentalist Christian school Mm -hmm. was the um, sister-in-law of future president of the university, Stephen Jones, who had become the president of the university while I was attending. It's like the great grandson. Yes, who was the son of um, Bob Jones III. Um, so we finally broke yeah. away. Talk about the name Bob Jones from Bob Jones know, Senior, right? Bob Jones Junior, Bob Jones the Third. Stephen is the first. There was, there was actually a Bob Jones the Fourth, oh, uh, but he did not. He did not want to become president of the university. He went on to to work for like World Magazine or something like that. Yeah, somebody yeah. was obsessed with the name. <laughs> yeah. So right. yes, there is a Bob Jones the Fourth. I do not know if there's a Bob Jones the Fifth though. So Bob Jones the Third, <laughs> he's on Larry King, and what is he talking about, Nate? And why is your your yeah, school so your the school year rela- relative? Of- right. So all the way up until the year two thousand, from nineteen seventy six until the year two thousand, the university has been enforcing this basically an anti-miscegenation law on campus. Can you simplify that for people like me who don't know what that means? So basically that's race mixing. Mm -hmm. Um, Interracial dating. They've been enforcing that you can't date. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's no interracial dating on campus all the way up until the spring of 2000 because if you remember uh, the year 2000 was the year that George W. Bush was campaigning and was elected as um, our president. And on his campaign trail was a town called Greenville, South Carolina, and the venue was Bob Jones University. Now He's going there to campaign. Yeah. So a presidential candidate, um, going to George a, W. Bush... <laughs> A university yep. that is enforcing a ban on interracial dating. That's where he's yep. showing up. Yep. And not it. just any and and not just any presidential candidate. This isn't, you know, like <laughs> um Strom Thurmond or or someone. This is, you know, uh, somebody from a powerful political family that's well known mm-hmm. in the US pol- political landscape. The, you know, this isn't some like up and comer. This is you know, somebody who's established. So for for him to be showing up at Bob Jones University, it it draws a lot of additional scrutiny to the the college. So on Larry King Live, Larry King grills Bob Jones the third about this policy. And on live TV, he um revokes the um the policy right then and there. And I remember this distinctly. Yeah. And I remember this distinctly because um, my English teacher had wheeled in a TV for us to watch this whole thing, uh, this whole interview with uh, with Larry King, because as a feeder school for Bob Jones University, you know, we had to we had to hear about what was happening down there. You had a Bob Jones in-law working at your school as a teacher. Fascinating. (laughs) Royalty of Bob yeah, Jones. Kind of yeah. Wow. And can I ask yeah. you a question? Like, as as a pers- like, do you imagine back then that you were going to go to Bob Jones University as a part mm-hmm. of a feeder school? So you're already picturing yourself there. I I already yeah because by the time I was in tenth grade, I had already visited the campus several times. 
Um, well, actually, by the time I was in like 11th or 12th grade, but but in 10th grade, I started visiting the campus for various things. So like the uh, so the American Association of Christian Schools that I had mentioned earlier, they had a fine arts competition um, that, you know, if you if you won the state's fine arts competition, you were then competing at the national level and the national fine arts competition was hosted at Bob Jones University. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the we also I, I attended various, you know, uh, summer camps uh, on campus at Bob Jones University. I went to basketball camp there, I went to drama camp. You so know, you cor- imagine yourself camp, going there that. in the future and you mm-hmm. are not white. Had you taken into consideration what this meant for you while the interracial ban was still in existence? Like, did that thought even cross your no, mind? No, um, uh, not really. Mostly because um, I, <laughs> uh, one, one of the things that my mom used to do when I was a kid is she would say, you're not allowed to date until you're 37 years old, which was, you know, the mm-hmm. year that my dad married her. And <laughs> and she always said that kind of tongue in cheek as a joke, but I sort of took it very seriously. So I just assumed that I was never going to date anybody until I was 37 years old, mm-hmm. um, which became very, very difficult to pull off once I got into college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thankfully, though. It wasn't until 2003 that I would start attending the school um, and the interracial dating ban was already uh, lifted by the time I arrived there. But I, you know, I talk about all of this stuff, my own experiences um, on on Scott's podcast. So go check that out um, if you want to hear my own experience at Bob Jones University. Mm-hmm. All right. So that pretty much goes through Bob Jones's history. Actually, there's one more, I think, point that I wanted to bring out. Basically, so that was... The year 2000, when they make the announcement about how that ban is ending, but then it took until 2008. So this is once you've graduated, right? You graduated 2000. Yeah, I graduated in 2007. Seven. Oh, so this is the year after mm-hmm. you graduate. So basically, year after I graduated, 007 boy at heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so Stephen Jones, the president of the school at the time, um, son of. Bob Jones III, who made the announcement on Larry King, and great-grandson of Bob Jones Sr., who started the school. Anyway, he issues an apology on behalf of the school, and this is what he says in his apology. For almost two centuries, American Christians, including BJU in its early stages, was characterized by the segregation ethos of American culture. Consequently, for far too long, we allowed institutional policies regarding race to be shaped more directly by that ethos than by the principles and precepts of the scriptures. I'm going to go back to his speech, but this is ridiculous because in their whole booklet, they're talking about why it's scriptural. They're referencing the Bible. It's even titled about how it's segregation scriptural. Mm -hmm. So to pretend now that the segregation wasn't about trying to follow the Bible, which they claimed before, and now they're saying, oh, it was just being informed by the ethos of American culture is such a crack of shit. Like, it's just not reality. So he goes, we conform to the culture rather than providing a clear Christian counterpoint to it. So... He goes, in doing so, we fail to accurately represent the Lord and to fulfill the commandment to love others as ourselves. And for these failures, we are profoundly sorry. And this is the best part. He goes, though no known antagonism towards minorities or expressions of racism on a personal level have ever been tolerated on our campus, we allowed institutional policies to remain in place that were racially hurtful. I mean, you're laughing. You went to Bob Jones. There was no personal... Yeah, it never happened. Expressions oh, no, of never. racism on a personal level. No, they were that never was tolerated. never tolerated. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, look, here's here's the thing about about stuff like that, right? When 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 people make these sorts of claims, um, they, they like to imagine 
that institutional or systemic racism and um, individual personalized acts of you know racist aggression are somehow distinct from each other. That they have like um, no connecting points, and that they don't. Yeah, that there are there, and... there are no right, right, and they also like to imagine that systemic and institutionalized racism can be eradicated just as easily as um you know slapping your your child on the on the wrist when he makes a racist comment right um but none of that is true and not to mention the fact that if you've got policies in place like these actively racist policies um how can you possibly imagine that individual acts of aggression are not taking place under these policies. It's like policies they don't understand like this, the whole thing. No, they don't. Policies mm-hmm. like this are a breeding ground for um, for acts of racist aggression. Well, That's they, just... they inform personal expressions, right? Like your policies exactly. end up informing how you, you what you see as normal, what's normalized in your environment. So, yep. yep. Whew, that was a mouthful. That was totally. A... You know, before passing this over to Rick with the updates on uh, on BJU currently, I think it would probably be interesting to close this off with some Bob Jones alumni. And some of them, I mean, we mentioned Billy Graham. I'm going to get back to him and some of his thoughts. But there are some other notables that I think uh, show the influence and the impact of Bob Jones University. Uh, most people have heard of John MacArthur, uh, very prolific. Mm-hmm. He wrote like one of the best-selling study Bibles, Um yeah, I mean, you definitely see the Bob Jones influence in him with a lot of his takes, even on race. For example, I won't get into quotes from John MacArthur, but there's terrible ones out there. Um, Tim LaHaye, who wrote the Left Behind series, who also got upset at Wheaton for having a memorial service for Martin Luther King Jr. after he was shot. Um, he wrote to them and gave them some scathing review. Wait, so Wheaton, Wheaton being Wheaton College. Wheaton College. Yeah, yeah another evangelical college. Uh, but Tim LaHaye mm-hmm. was, is the author of, I mean, you, you, did you read Left Behind books? I feel like yeah. I, I've seen all the movies, but I didn't read the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they I were big. The they were huge. He had a, a ton of influence over how a generation thought of the end times, basically. A lot right. of people didn't even right. know Revelations, but they hadn't watched the Left Behind movies yeah. and assumed and, that and was... We, yeah, and Wheaton College was, uh, uh, and it still is um, a very you know, big evangelical, uni- well, uh, you know, a big name in the evangelical community. You know, some of you might have heard of them, but they're more in the mainstream evangelical world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they held a memorial service for Martin Luther King Jr. when after he passed. And um, yeah, Tim LaHaye was not too happy about that. Yep. So there's him. There's John MacArthur, as we said. There's also mm-hmm. Fred Phelps. Does that ring a bell? Do you know <laughs> Yeah, Fred Phelps, the founding pastor of Westboro Baptist Church, very extreme church. They were a church involved in protesting funerals of gay people who were killed. Like it just they did. They have a reputation for being absolutely terrible people, horrific people. And yeah, so Fred Phelps attended Bob Jones, another alumni. Mm-hmm. And and then we get to Billy Graham, who is like the evangelical slash Protestant pope. I mean, Protestants don't have a pope, but if there was somebody that most evangelicals were like, yeah. He, we respect this guy. It was Billy Graham was seen as as sort of a mouthpiece for what most evangelicals and Protestants could agree on. Like he didn't teach anything that people were like, oh, yeah, no, we disagree with that. Most people were like, yeah, we we think he does. He had a big impact on people and his crusades drew in tons of and on TV. People watched that. And I know people who said they came to know to know God through watching a Billy Graham 
uh, televangelist thing. So yeah, he had a huge influence. Uh, he attended Bob Jones. I think you mentioned it for only a semester and then they bestowed on him an honorary degree. Um, but he had some thoughts about Bob Jones and his experience there. I'm just going to quote some of his stuff from his uh, autobiography, which was called uh, Just As I Am. He said, I found myself in an environment so rigidly regimented, it shocked me. Um, our, so our social life was restricted, he said. Dating had to be scheduled and was governed by the Dean's Code. When you did date, you couldn't sit on the same sofa or chair as a girl. You were chaperoned and watched like a hawk. And outside of approved dating times, you could not even stop to talk to, to talk to your girlfriend. I know some of this changed probably while you were when you were there from from back when Billy Graham was there. But this part might sound very familiar. He said intellectual life at the college was also subject to strict regulation. Teaching in every subject was dogmatic. There was little chance to raise questions. Dr. Bob Jones's interpretation of doctrine, ethics, and academics was the only one allowed, and very few students ever questioned his authority to his face. Um, so after only one semester, Graham decides to leave, a decision that wasn't well received by Bob Jones Sr. According to Graham, uh, he said, I dislike the overwhelming discipline, which often seemed to have little rationale behind it. And I dislike being told what to think about being given the opportunity to reason issues through on my own or to look at other viewpoints. Sorry, without being given the opportunity to reason through things. Um, I asked for an interview with Dr. Bob Jones Sr. in his office, and I told him about my discontent and my thoughts of leaving, Graham wrote. His voice booming, he pronounced me a failure and predicted only more failure ahead. I left his office disillusioned and dejected. So those are his, those are his Bob Jones thoughts. And later, after Graham became a popular evangelist, evangelist, he was welcomed back to the university by Bob Jones Jr., and Graham preached before a crowd of 3,500 at BJU. Um, it was then located at Greenville, I think, when he attended. They were in Tennessee still. Um, and that was in 1950. And by the early 60s, though, the relationship between these these two had soured. Um, Graham's biographers say that he he was probably um, shunned for, you know, his growing ecumenicism. Um, basically, you know, he was reaching out to different denominations and groups. And like I said, he was a well-respected figure among many Protestant groups. Um, he also integrated in his rallies. Like we said, he took down the partitions. Uh, so he was angering segregationists, which Bob Jones was. Um, so yeah, according to his, um, biographers, he was, he was considered the arch compromiser to be shunned and testified against as a menace to the cause of evangelicalism. Um, so according to BJU. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my. They had a really crazy quote about him. What did they say? They said, uh, jo Jones Jr., his stinging criticism of Graham was, I think Dr. Graham is doing more harm to the cause of Jesus Christ than any living man. <laughs> and that was based on scriptural differences. And yeah, that caught national attention in 1966. So basically, that that's a little bit of the history between Billy Graham and his experience with Bob Jones University mm -hmm. and his yeah. thoughts on it. So, yep. Um, so that's Bob Jones University. They're so extreme that even Billy Graham had all sorts of stuff to to say about them. Um, speaking of alumni, though, uh, another alumnus of Bob Jones University who's not looked at too kindly by officials of the university is uh, our good friend Rick Pidcock, who um, we actually spent some time with to talk about some of the latest goings on at the university. Um, yeah, so 
we we had a little bit of a conversation. Now, the, the, this recording was done a few months ago, right before the end of the semester. So there wasn't really a whole lot of other news after the fact, but there might be some additional items that have taken place between then and now. Don't really remember exactly when we, we sat down for this recording, but there was a lot of big news going on at Bob Jones University. Um, to close off the last in, school year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the uh, towards the end of the, the the last school year. So yeah, it was um, it was just dripping with all sorts of drama at the school. So that's what we kind of go into in this conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Jessica from the Leaving the Village podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Kathleen, Nate, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions they came from, please feel free to hop onto the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episode of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking on the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking on the link in the top banner. See you there. Hey, this is Aaron from Montreal, Canada, and you're listening to Full Mutuality. Basically, and, and I, I haven't followed this as closely as a lot of people have, mm. but there are entire groups of thousands of alumni who are following this thing on pins and needles. And <sighs> like you, I've kind of been out of the fundamentalist world for a couple decades at this point. Mm-hmm. And... But, you know, I've, I've written a, a couple articles on some things about it. And basically, from what I've kind of gathered, like, when we were at the school, it was, they had a lot of really strict rules, like, yeah. you know, women wearing pantyhose, men wearing ties, music mm-hmm. style was really strict. And, and they've kind of loosened up on some of those. And so basically... Um, or last year there was a student who he was, uh, he, he did a series of, of, uh, clothing for a, a fashion show and it was supposed to like look at the creation fall redemption restoration narrative of Bob Jones's theology. But for the redemption part, he had a wrap coat that went around his body and people said that he looked like a gay man. And so, they the board had a major problem with that and put out a statement and basically ever since then there has been a lot of angst amongst the fundamentalist old school support of the school and like um Dr. Bob the 3rd came out and said that there's been some embarrassing antithetical historically uncharacteristic things that have happened and how they need to stop the hemorrhage. And a lot of them place that at the feet of Steve Pettit, who was the the president. 
Hmm. So that's where a lot of the controversy started. Now, I know if, if I remember correctly, um, the the whole fashion design program is is pretty brand new, right? Like my observation of of that. I guess, and this is completely speculation. Like, I don't, I don't really know what was going on behind the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But um, my observation was that the, you know, part of what you were referencing with some of the the loosening of the rules um, was an effort to make the school a little bit more attractive, um, and, and and kind of an effort to sort of stem the tide of really, really poor enrollment over the last several years. And so something like fashion design, when 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 you and I were at were at the school, fashion design would never have been uh, a major that that anyone would have participated in. <laughs> let alone guys. Right. Let alone a guy. Yeah. So Yeah. So I like that whole story was fascinating. And and to be honest, like, you know, from from my perspective, I didn't I didn't see it. I thought it was a a, a pretty pretty unique piece and it's look it's a fashion show they're 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 art pieces they're not really meant for day-to-day you know outfits you know you just you're you're putting it on to to put on display for an art show essentially and i thought i don't know i thought it was a beautiful piece if i were still christian that would uh that that piece probably would would have spoken to me very deeply but alas (laughs) i digress (laughs) Yeah, and so you know that was one thing, and there were there were other things like um, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, some of your listeners may know was a quarterback of Clemson. Went back mm-hmm. when they were winning national championships, and he was invited to speak at a fundraiser uh, for Bob Jones for the athletic department. Right, and right. somebody found a photo of his fiance wearing a bikini on Instagram, and uh, that caused an uproar. And then there were um, there were they ended up canceling that event too, didn't yeah, they, so they? In, in they response to that, yep. yep. And then there were uh, female student athletes who were wearing shorts that board members thought were too far above their knees during competition. And so then, um, <laughs> when Steve Pettit, so Steve Pettit put out this letter where he was basically saying all this stuff is going on. Um, behind the scenes, and he basically said, it's either me or John Lewis, the, the head of the board, needs to resign. And one of the one of the things that was going on was that there's a Title IX investigation mm-hmm. because somebody, a board member, was being accused of taking pictures of the female students' bodies and, you know, without their consent. Mm-hmm. And and was sharing them with the with the board, you know, to complain about it and everything. But so there's there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes, and basically it got to the point like they've got they had Pettit said that they had an alternative lawyer that some of the board members didn't know about. They were they were storing sensitive board documentation outside of the university's secured network on a, a new computer that the chairman had instructed them to buy, um, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. There was, he, Pettit even said that there was, there were meetings being held at Dr. Bob the third's house, uh, you know, where some of the board wasn't invited and stuff. And then it's, it's actually interesting. Dr. Bob came on Facebook recently, I think within the last week or so. And he said that wasn't true. So there's a bit of a, hmm. 
he said he said going on between Doctor Bob the Third and Steve Pettit right now. Interesting. Too. Wow. And like so, when I was a student there, it was right at the end of um, Doctor Bob's administration and the beginning of Stephen Jones's administration. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't there for the end of that, but there it was already. Um, you were starting to see some of the cracks in the um, in the control that the Joel, that the Jones family had over the the school. Um, it appeared that Stephen Jones was trying to move the school forward in some ways. I don't know. Like again, I'm I'm just speculating. I don't know if it was you know a, a, a situation with regards to um, enrollment being down and Stephen Jones trying to you know, play both sides of attracting students who were becoming more and more savvy about the, um, the higher education landscape and the, the old guard, the alumni and donors who are fixed on this idea of what they believe that Bob Jones university should be. Um, and I do think that's, that's kind of speaks to a larger conversation about, evangelicalism at large and how you have people who are coming with differing perspectives and trying to play both sides, but inevitably just continue to harm um, the ones who are the, you know, who have the least amount of of power and least amount of of say, right? I I think of, um, we've spoken about this recently on the podcast, but Andy Stanley at North Point, um, who's, you know, the pastor of North Point Ministries saying how, you know, uh, LGBTQ people, we should be proud of them for, for being in our churches. We should be, uh, you know, they, because they are brave for setting foot in these places. Um, and, and to me, that's, that, that speaks to, a desire to like recognizing that attendance is down in, in evangelical churches and knowing that you're not going to bring new people in. If you don't start to chip away at some of these incredibly harmful and toxic beliefs, but you're, you're not going so far as to dismantle the systems that are actually harming queer people because um, you have, the old guard that you're still trying to please. I don't know. That's just my my observation as far as what what seems to have been happening over the last uh, decade or two at um, at Bob Jones. Yeah, and just to give a little perspective, like you know, I hear this is it's kind of weird. Like I'll hear, and I don't want to compare. Like, like part of me doesn't really want to compare power trauma stories, you know, as to lessen somebody else's. But mm. sometimes I'll hear people saying things like how their Christian school was so strict because the guys had to be out of the, the women's dorms by like eight o'clock at night. Right. You know, and, and it's just like, like that was not our experience. You know, <laughs> no. and we're, we're talking about like, you know, women aren't, don't have to wear pantyhose anymore. We're talking about like <laughs> the rule about, contemporary music is still on the books, but students can mm-hmm. listen to it on their headphones without someone coming after them for it and stealing right. their CDs away from them. So like, you know, there's, 
it's not like they were moving to this really progressive, no, more open space. It's still a very toxic environment, yeah. despite the fact that so many conservative evangelical friends of ours that are in these, you know, more complementarian but contemporary styled churches are wanting to be excited about where Steve Pettit took it. Right, right. But, you know, like you look at what has been going on at Bob Jones University and, and the, the, the quote unquote progress that it's made, they're nowhere near even potentially opening up the conversation about what to do about queer people at their school because they're still in the in in denial about the existence of queer people, let alone uh, the attend the uh, the potential for students, current students at the school um, being queer, or even alumni who have come out on a uh, on an episode last season. We had Lance Weldy and Peter Crane. Lance had compiled the the stories of queer students, former students of Bob Jones University, and. I remember posting about the book, just sort of like um, a kind of encouraging sort of like, hey, here's a book about the university. I'm really excited to read. There are some great stories in here. And I posted a a picture of my copy of the book in the uh, general alumni group, and it was immediately taken down. And then I think shortly thereafter, they started to change the rules of posting in the group where every every post had to be approved and so on. But... (laughs) But yeah, like you can't even they, they can't even acknowledge that at, that there were queer students who had attended that school. So we're talking about a university that still has that like they are nowhere near even those conversations that places like Azusa Pacific University have had and are still having massive controversies over because, you know, we, we were just talking about Asbury um, on a recent episode and how they fired professors for simply wanting to provide a safe place for LGBTQ students. That was it. They weren't, they weren't queer. They weren't in openly queer relationships. They were just trying to provide a safe space for hurting students. So, I mean, BJU is not even close to those, to those kinds (laughs) of conversations. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, so Steve Pettit is in this, kind of historic clash with the board of trustees at the university and speaking of the board of trustees that will be coming up in our in our uh, episode this is not a group of men that you uh that you have any faith in will ever do the right thing um but yeah so there's this clash between uh steve pettit who is the president current pres well i guess as of now yeah i guess the commencement is taking place and he's officially out but yeah so he is he has resigned from uh, the presidency at Bob Jones University. And you were saying that as of uh, the time that we're recording this, there is some some news that has dropped even in, in the past like day or two? Yeah, actually, it was uh, at 8.13 tonight, uh, a couple hours ago. So um, basically, Steve Pettit had resigned. And, uh, and so a lot of people had hoped that he could... Well, then John Lewis who was the chairman of the board also resigned. And so people thought when Lewis resigned that maybe Pettit would come back and, Hmm. and that the board was not really apparently not interested in that happening. So, Hmm. um, so basically the board announced tonight that a guy named Alan Benson will be the acting CEO 
and he is going to be teaming up with Gary Weir and Bruce McAllister. And so I don't know much about Benson, but me neither. Yeah, he went to BJU for his undergrad, and then he also got a master's degree from there, and then got his MDiv from the Louisiana Baptist Theological Seminary, and then got his Doctor of Ministry at Bob Jones. And then he spent 25 years pastoring in Florida, North Carolina, and Illinois. So that might be something to look into, kind of see what his background is. But I mean, yeah. we're still talking about a very niche, small circle here. So there's, yeah, it's it's not like anything we're going to be open to, really. You know, right, right. <laughs> but um, seems- but the other. The other, oh, sorry, uh, just real quick. The other two people um, that you mentioned do say they, I knew them uh, from, yeah. from when I was a student there, uh, Gary Weir. And this is still just a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Benson was, was on, was in the administration. And um, so this is just a temporary thing until they find the next president. He's not the next official gotcha. president. Gotcha. It seemed that, that Steve, am I saying his name right? Steve Pruitt? Pettit. Pruitt? Pettit. Pettit. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Steve Pettit was um, very popular as in like when he was talking about how he was going to resign if John Lewis um, what didn't uh, that he it seemed like he wanted to stay on. It, he just wanted it under his terms, and it seemed like a lot of people were in support of it. A lot of he seemed popular with the students, um, and it. I guess it looks kind of surprising that he got what he wanted, and that it's not. It's not happening. Like he's not coming back. Is that? Is it because the board really doesn't want him there? And is there a lot of? Are you guys yeah, seeing in your alumni group mm-hmm. a lot of um, outrage that he's not going to come back with John Lewis being gone? Or so I don't know about outrage. You're right that he was popular among students and and alumni, um, particularly younger alumni um, who wanted to see the school <laughs> again in quotes progress. Um, but I, I don't know about outrage. There is, there seems to be a consensus in the alumni groups that the, um, that whatever the university decides is, you know, akin to the word of God. So, um, you know, people were starting to get concerned that, you know, students and young alumni were worshiping Steve Pettit as some kind of savior, you know. I see. So, yeah. So there might yeah. be some backlash to the fact that he was so popular with with the younger students and Yeah, but only after the fact, right? They they I I feel like there there seems to be this this attitude of, you know, so long as the the status quo is maintained, that is, you know, what people are happy with and you know if that gets upended in in any way most university alumni and supporters tend to just roll with whoever is setting the status quo and in this case it's you know the 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 board um sans Mm -hmm. john lewis so they're like okay whatever whatever they say uh we'll we'll agree with and one one piece of this too Sam Dawson is now the new chair since Lewis resigned. And Mm. he had said, um, he said, we have no intention of taking BJU back to the past or changing the current direction. So 
you know, on one hand, it's like, do you take him at his word with that? But then on the other hand, um, Steve Pettit's not back. And there's a lot of fundamental Baptist uh, men who are in charge of the search. And so, and Dr. Bob is still on the board. And there are other board members on the board who are very um, much against Steve Pettit and who are part of the panic about the rap coat. So, you know, that's where a lot of the angst comes in is, is a lot of the alumni that are still conservative, evangelical, complementarian, all those things. Um, but they're more, they wear jeans on Sunday. You know, they're a little <laughs> wow. nervous that, that they might have to wear a tie again or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God forbid they live through my years at PJU. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wrote another article about um, John Lewis. And I know I he's gonna, not part of the board. So I was going to bring that up. So it, yeah, like, so he's no longer part of the board, so some people might assume it's an irrelevant story, but John Lewis personifies everyone that's on the board, or a lot of people mm-hmm. that are on the board, you know, and and basically, the it was really interesting with that story, because he had, he grew up, his, his, um, he grew up with a single mom in junior high and high school, a lot of his, his friends were, were going to jail, according to him. And, and then he ended up joining the military and he was in a very abusive environment. A lot of name calling. He never felt worthy. It was very controlling. They controlled everything that he did, you know, and, and, and it was interesting listening to him talk about that. It felt like I was listening to him describe Bob Jones university. Hmm. And I think one of the bigger stories here is that a lot of these, like what you fear you control and a lot of these men who are in charge of Bob Jones university, they're, they're really, um, they're living out their childhood wounds that they have not healed because Mm -hmm. they don't go to therapy Mm -hmm. and they, they're just exercising power and control over other people. And, and they're basically just perpetrating their wounds on, on students Mm. And treating the students like they're slaves. Yeah. And, yeah. That was something that fascinated me about that article that you wrote that resonated so much with my own experience. <clears throat> and it's this, um, I remember very distinctly the language of, you know, we are uh, your 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 parents. We, um, what was the? And, and loco parentis. Uh, yeah, and loco parentis, yeah. yeah. And I, I remember that, so distinct, so distinctly, um, not jiving with my own experience of my parents. Cause, um, I kept thinking, well, my parents wouldn't police the kind of music I listened to and they weren't policing the, the movies I was watching aside from, you know, quote unquote age appropriateness, which was a little bit stricter than your average parent would be, but they weren't really like, coming down hard on the movies I was watching as I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And yet here was this university that wouldn't let me watch any movie above rated G. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't allowed to go to a movie theater and I wasn't even really allowed to keep movies in my dorm room until I, um, I lived for uh, a month in grad hall. And then that's when I was allowed to have a TV and movies and stuff. But, 
Yeah, like to me, it didn't it didn't feel like, you know, my parents. It's already weird that a university would think of itself as, you know, your surrogate parents. <laughs> they're they're an, yeah. an academic institution. Right. They're supposed to be equipping you in 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 terms of your your education, right? Not being your parents. And then the other thing is that you BJU never felt like that to me. And granted, my parents were different from the standard BJU parents, but it still didn't feel like a parental sort of role. But the way that you put it in your article of the 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 language that John Lewis used of like slave and master, that to me seemed way more in line with how um, Bob Jones University functioned with regards to its students. Yeah, Your parents, having had conversations with them about your BJU experience and like, you know, you and your brother both voicing, I mean, your brother didn't even make it, didn't even finish there. He left when you left, um, although you graduated. But like they were just stunned at how much, like they didn't realize the level of control you guys were under and how negative the experience it was for you, like how, you know, much more extreme it was than what they were used to and what they had done. But that's like you said, that's their style of parenting. And I think there probably are a lot of parents who send their kids to Bob Jones University who are controlling parents, who are very fundamentalists, who really do micromanage their children. And so they want them in a university that will police things as hard as they would. And so you probably have have some that are from homes like yours where they come to Bob Jones and it's like, what is this place? Like, how is all of this stuff like contraband how am i getting in trouble for every single yeah. thing i mean i was like i was a little different in that uh, in that i grew up attending a christian school and um, a church that had similar standards to bju um i just was not prepared for the 24 7 enforcement and surveillance yeah mm-hmm. when I'll, I'll give you two uh stories here kind of on either end of my time there so my freshman year I was a town student and, mm. or no, no, I was, I was a dorm student at this point. And my high school, it was a Christian high school in Georgia. We we're having our homecoming. And so I wanted to go back and see my friends from high school for a homecoming football game. And it was over the weekend and I was going to stay with my pastor. And so I went to get permission from the Dean of Men's office and they told me I couldn't go. And I said, but I'm staying with my pastor. And they said, well, you're not allowed to go. And I said, well, my parents told me that I'm allowed to go. And they said, well, we're your in loco parentis. And we're telling you, you can't. So it was like this, you know, we're the Mm. captain now moment, you know? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And uh, I was like, what? And so that was, so after that, it was when I was like, that's a level of control that I, I can't really consent to. So I was a town student after that. But then my dad was, he was on faculty there and so they had whatever control they had over the students they had even more control over faculty students and families and there was a there was a point toward the end of my time at bob jones i told my dad i was like i said i know this is going to sound disrespectful and i don't mean to be disrespectful but i feel like you're kind of pointless because like bob jones has told us every little detail of our lives Mm. They've prescribed me what I'm allowed to wear when I cut the grass in the backyard. Like all you are, all you exist for is to enforce their rules. Mm -hmm. What, what freedom do you have to make any decisions for our family? Mm. And, and, you know, that's, that's the environment that 
that we were in. And so to me, like that's, that's coming from a, there needs to be an anger about that, but Mm -hmm. also like a, a bit of a reflection, like, who controls people like this? What wounds do they have mm. that are unhealed that they would be so terrified that they would have to control people to mm. that level? Yeah. Yeah. And these people are in charge of education. <laughs> and not to mention so. the, um, the, the amount of power that they wield over local churches. Um, mm-hmm. And we were mentioning some of the rule changes that have happened over the last few years. One of them I think is the, the, the church list. There's that. When I was there, um, there was a list of approved churches that students were allowed to attend. And if it wasn't on that list, we obviously were not allowed to go there. Um, and from what I have, you know, heard through the grapevine and probably read in 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 different posts and articles, possibly even something that you wrote. I'm not sure. A lot. My my mind is all kind of um, muddy with with the details here. But um, there's there was a fear amongst the local churches in Greenville um, that were in the, you know, fundamentalist strain of being blacklisted from the Bob Jones University list of approved um, churches because they wanted the attendance. They wanted, you know, to be allowed to have students coming into their church. Um, and even outside of the the Greenville area, fundamentalist churches that were part of the BJU network were uh, afraid of not getting the the visits from the BJU ministry teams because they wanted to have that clout of the, you know, the, the watchful eye of, uh, of, mm-hmm. of Bob Jones. It's yeah. frightening. Yeah. And I, I led worship at a local church here in town um, in college that was on the approved list. Okay. But we were constantly having to like be careful of our picking patterns or our strumming patterns. <laughs> yeah. So as not to like offend someone while we're playing as the deer, you know. And mm. um you know, so there's there was a lot of and and I'm not like again, I know I'm not a Calvinist at all, uh by any means, and I I have I think that's got some major problems. But like our church was Calvinist. And I know that that the school told our church, like you're getting too Calvinist in your sermons. And so, Mm. you know, well, I would probably agree like now that's a problem (laughs) that you're preaching Calvinism. On the other hand, there's an, there was an exercise of power there where they were controlling what was said in the pulpits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on all of that a hundred percent. Especially, part about you know calvinism having been through a a calvinist church as well um so so now we're seeing all that hit the fan yeah so what next like like do you think i mean what's the over under on how long this university is going to stay open it was it it was looking pretty bad like um i don't know like because they that they had i think there, there, there was some letter that was sent from like all of the department heads mm. where they were saying like, we're in an emergency situation here. Uh, John Lewis needs to resign the chairman of the board. And it was like for them to go to that degree in that environment of fear and control tells you how close it was 
mm. to to going under, in my mm. opinion. And so maybe they've they've staved off some of that with John Lewis resigning. Maybe they bought themselves some time. But I mean, it's still a fundamentally a worldview based on separation. Mm-hmm. And separation can only separate so long until it fractures yeah. irrecoverably apart. So Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. they could sell some art or something. Yeah. Hey, they, <laughs> sell some property. That's true. The um the BJU uh gallery, the museum and gallery. Wasn't that supposedly like the largest collection of sacred art outside the Vatican? Something like that. That's what we were told. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know. Uh, I, looking back, there's a lot of stuff that we were told about the school that I don't buy the, like, I remember Dr. Bob talking about how, you know, this is, you know, this is equivalent to an Ivy league education that you're getting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm optimistic in that. I think this is, this is the end of the end of the line for, for BJU, at least within the next 10 years or so. Um, like you said, there you can only separate so far before you fracture irrevocably. And I think, I think, I think we're seeing it, you know, there's, there's letters going around. I mean, I'm just, um, going around on, um, on Dr. Lewis's website, a former professor, um, who actually, uh, left the same year that I graduated and has made it her mission to keep tabs on the bullshit that's going on at this school. And she uh, got a hold of some letter that I'm just looking at now, um, something from December of last year, the, what is this, the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anything about this, but it apparently it seems like a big deal. Dr. Bob's signature is on it. Chuck Phelps. And Bruce McAllister's signature is on it. And he's Bruce one McCall- of the three that's in charge. The- yep. Yep. Um, so, who knows? We'll see. And, um, and I think as a kind of a segue into, um, our upcoming episode, I think this is worth noting. Um, we don't, we don't talk about it in this, in that episode, but, Chuck Phelps is still, who was formerly a member of the BJU Board of Trustees, is still in active ministry. He is the senior pastor of Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Bedford County, Pennsylvania. So just as a heads up, this guy who presided over severe rape and sexual abuse of a minor... And the cover-up of that incident, he is still a senior pastor at uh, at a church, and he apparently is on this. Um, his signed this letter that also has Dr. Bob's signature on it. So, so yeah, that's um, that's the latest from from BJU as of um, the time that we're recording this, May sixteenth, twenty twenty three. It's probably going to drop. Um, much later than this but yeah just so you know this is where we're at and so when you listen to our upcoming episode about bob jones university um yeah keep some of that in mind we're a little bit out of date there we're probably going to be out of date here although we're heading into the summer months so not a whole lot tends to go on at universities um during (laughs) during this time of year but 
thanks thanks for for sharing rick i really appreciate it thanks for for covering this stuff and um and yeah keep us posted obviously we'll be in touch we're in we're in some chat groups together so but yeah sounds good thanks rick yeah thanks for having me absolutely Thanks for listening to another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, and pretty much every other podcast app. Just search for Full Mutuality on your app of choice or visit our website, fullmutuality.com, for links to all of the apps that you can subscribe to us on. And if you enjoyed what you've heard, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website. A quick review is one of the best ways you can support us. Speaking of support, you can also partner with us on Patreon. For just $5 US a month, you'll be helping us produce this podcast and you'll get access to other content such as exclusive episodes, access to occasional live streamed recording sessions, and more. Just head over to patreon.com slash fullmutuality to sign up. Thanks again for hanging out with us today and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content.